with season three the first episode oh it's so good to be back Marco um, so excited to be here oh I'm, never, I'm so pumped and ready to go with this first episode who have we got again <laughs> I'm, I'm loving the enthusiasm Tarek <laughs> but I have bad news what this is the second episode of season three what did you, did you do last week without me <laughs> well you were in the interview but you know <laughs> I told you I was cleaning my flat <laughs> yeah exactly everyone knows that <laughs> yes don't worry my yeah. flat is now is now cleaned Bathroom is, bathroom is still on its way to be bitten made, but it's closer. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good. <laughs> but I actually well, had quite a bad week, though, Marco. Oh, how come? Oh, well, yeah, you did have a, a very bad week. Not only was, is my bathroom still not finished, but I was trapped in London during the storms. Uh-huh. And then when I finally did get back up to Edinburgh, I found my identity had been completely stolen. <laughs> a number of credit cards and phone contracts had been taken out under my name. And then in a circular manner... Your week has just ended with another bad experience in the bathroom, I believe. <laughs> okay. And that, that isn't as bad as it Th- sounds. That was totally incompetence. <laughs> I got locked in the bathroom at work. Yeah. I had to climb out over the stall. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm surprised you managed to make it here to record this, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll die on the way home. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, rambling on there. Uh, I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And uh, this is the Page One podcast where we speak to writers of all descriptions about how they got into writing, what the writing process is, and get lots of hints and tips from them. So thanks for tuning in. Um, this week's episode, we speak to Dave Cook, who is a independent uh, comics mm-hmm. writer and creator, maybe best known for Kiltopia. Yeah, kind of like a... Uh, um Futuristic Japanese battle royale, hundred uh, game cyberpunk mashup. But it's, it's really cool, cool yeah. concept. No, it is, and we talked to Dave a lot about that. But he's had a number of other comics as well, uh, bust vessels, and he, it, it's interesting just hearing the process about how, as an indie comics mm-hmm. publisher, you do that. And we thought it'd be really interesting to speak to Dave because I know there's listeners that want to get into making comics, and it's not easy to go from sort of zero to write yeah. for Marvel. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a dream a lot of people have, yeah, Exactly. But, yeah. but um, you know, David slowly but surely built up a really loyal audience mm-hmm. with these books and actually Kiltopia is now published yeah, by a small yeah. publisher. And, and, and he, he chats about, as, as a writer, how you find that artist and how you team up with them, how you find a good fit, how you do the royalty split, all mm-hmm. that stuff, which I think if you are into writing comics and wanting to do it yourself, it should be quite interesting. Yeah. So even if you're not into comics as well, there's a lot of writing stuff in there as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, And it's just an interesting chat, yeah, I think. Dave's a nice guy. It was a good fun. Yeah, it was. So we'll stop rambling and get on with it. <laughs> and we'll be back at the end of the podcast to chat a bit more and let you know about next week's episode as well. And also, there's a competition Ooh. to win uh, one of Dave's comics and a page one notebook. But we'll tell you about that after the podcast. See you then. Actually, to be honest, I wasn't really into comics until at university, actually. So um, I studied journalism Mm -hmm. at Napier at Mm -hmm. university. And um, one day my flatmate came through with a comic and said, oh, you'll like this. It's about journalism. And it was a copy of uh, Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. 
And uh, yeah, I loved it. It was honestly like love at first sight. It was. Mm. Uh, it's a bit like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas meets like cyberpunk. It's kind mm-hmm. of. Um, it just sort of hit me at the right time. It was about journalism. The actual journalism in the book that the main character writes is just so well written. Mm-hmm. And it was just this aspirational thing. And I was like, yeah, I really want to write more creative stuff and, and get into that and try and tell a story like this. And, yeah. Um, but I, I sat on it for many years. I mean, mm-hmm. about another 10 years before I finally did something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, did did you did a bit of games journalism as well? Is that's that right. right? Do you yeah. still do that, or is that? Uh, I used to freelance here and there. Yeah. But it's, uh, the comics have kind of eclipsed all that yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, while I was doing the games journalism, it was a news website I wrote for, and you know how fast you know it was a breaking news mm. website. Yeah. News dies so quickly now that nothing I had, none of my bylines had a good shelf life. So mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a disaster. <laughs> it was. Um, I found out I was really bad at describing stuff in in the prose. So it was like the man walked into the room and did this and did that, and it was just so dull. Mm-hmm. Couldn't I couldn't really describe what I was seeing. So the natural solution was someone to draw it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, you know, I can make this a comic, uh, and I did. And that's how the my first comic started. A bust started mm-hmm. uh, came from that that failure of a novel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it just it's weird how it worked out, and uh-huh. I I never really. Apart from Transmetropolitan, I'd never really been into comics yeah. before then. Um, did some research among like comic reading fans mm-hmm. and just got a feel for it, found an artist and just did it. And yeah. so, I mean, I suppose breaking that down slightly and as someone myself who has, uh, you know, written a comic and how, how did you go about that process of finding the artist, finding the artist that you wanted and all of that sort of stuff? So um, it was kind of it was. I mean, I, when I was a games journalist, like I, I, I did have a good, a big circle of creative friends. I knew a lot of artists just anyway. Right. Um, it so happened the artist for Bust was a reader of my journalism. He was a member of our site's forum. Okay. Right, okay. Um, so I just put a thing in there saying, "Hey, do I know any artists in our readership?" And my mate Chris just went, "Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> um, and it, wow. it was very much like. It was almost like this moment of madness where I didn't really pre-plan any of it. I had no experience and just thought, I'm just going to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always meant to be a one-off though, right? Just to say, to tell that failed novel in a format that, you know, made sense. Um, But yeah, in terms of like comic script formatting and everything, that was a mess too. (laughs) It was nowhere near industry standard. I just made it up. Yeah. Um, I looked at a few examples online, but just kind of did my own format. Um, yeah. I still do that today. I don't mm-hmm. follow quite rigidly how the comic industry does it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just f- thinking on my feet, doing my own thing. And just, yeah, then we decided to kickstart that first book as well. And that was a, how it all sort of happened, really. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you know, the free ignorance is bliss in a way. You know, yeah. it, just deciding, right, I'm going to do this. And charging on with it without yeah. even realizing what yeah. the, the potential. It's really quite easy to get kind of stuck when you yeah. when you actually think how, all the stuff you would have to do. You can almost get you can almost freeze yourself. So I think sometimes just going for it is the best way to find out what it's all about. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the funny thing because a lot of people always ask me, "Oh, what comics really influenced yeah. you today?" And I read a lot more comics now mm-hmm. than you know before, but I'm genuinely a comic reader now. But whenever someone says, "You know, what comic inspired that?" new series or that new issue and i'm just like none really to be mm-hmm. honest because i try not to be too influenced by comics because then you fall into that trap of following yeah. by example and yeah um it's more video games i'm still influenced by mm-hmm. it that that still comes from the journalism days you know 
play video games and I can imagine, you know, something kind of in that kind of world or, you know, just mm-hmm. these ideas just, just, just come yeah. off the back of the games yeah. I play. Um, I do get a lot of funny looks at comic cons like, what what comics inspire you to write that book? I'm like none. <laughs> it's on. It's honest. You know, I yeah, love yeah. comics now, mm-hmm. but um, I, I just don't pay as much attention to them in that. Well, you can definitely see that. I think in in busts and Killtopia, you can see that kind of that that world, that kind of sandbox world. You can play games in that quite easily, and I can, I can see the influence of that quite clearly. I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, um, so bust the bust was heavily influenced by uh, what's Mad Max, Fight Club, and the Fallout video games mm-hmm. primarily. Post-apocalyptic, yeah, right? Yeah. Rundown kind of world. Uh, Killtopia is just pure like Japanese action video games, yeah. like Bayonetta, Metal Gear Solid, mm. all, all those kind of things. Uh, but of course, like Akira and and all these other things yeah. too. But primarily the games, you know. Um, and I'm all. I mean, the new thing, the new comic we're working on, what's well, a graphic novel actually, is inspired by retro beat 'em ups. So, all right, okay. Streets of Rage, Final yeah, Fight, Golden cool. Axe, all that kind of stuff. So, but that is ashamedly, like blatantly attributed to all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff where. The comic is like a video game itself, so that's been like really good fun to work on. So too. is that is that where you get get your ideas from? Is it do you, is it more from you play a game and you get a feeling or a sense or something from a game? You think I would love to translate that into a comic of some sort. Is that where it comes from? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it's a bit broader than that actually. So it's, it's the genres. Right, so okay. in fact, you can, you can kind of attach a game genre to each one of my series. So vessels, for example, came out of my love of the Dark Souls genre. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Souls trilogy has spawned this whole new genre called Souls-likes. Yep. Um, and I wanted to tell something in that world where the themes are they're difficult worlds, they're really, really challenging worlds for people to live in, big monsters, like really uh, a dying land, all these kind of like broader tropes. And mm-hmm. then every, everything else kind of just comes naturally from there, really, to be honest. But yeah, I've, I've kind of got my sights set on the next few game genres I'm going to tackle in the future. Okay. So I definitely want to do something that's a bit more of a space-faring adventure. I've never done space before, yeah, mm-hmm. so I thought games like Mass Effect or, you know, Outer Worlds yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's really just... I, I write a comic that I would my, I myself would like to read. Yeah, yeah. that's um, always the best. Yeah, and totally. You can definitely see, certainly on Kickstarter, comics that... Uh, and no disrespect to the writers, of course, but you look at them and you do think, right, that, that's been... That idea has been engineered in a way that it's to be popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just ticking all the boxes, perhaps a little bit too blatantly. It's yeah. like, um, and a lot of people say, "Oh, do, you know, do you want to write a comic to like make it big or whatever?" And I'm like, "No, it's mainly fun for me. If something big happens off the back of them, that's fine. Um, but I just want to write stories that I want to read." So yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's actually something we've mm-hmm. talked about as well to, to actually hold in your hand a, yeah. a comic that you've written. You know, I I grew up reading comics. You know, I love comics. So to have that sort of thing in your hand would be yeah. a great feeling. Just, to have. just even achieve, if even, even if, if that's it was, all it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even if it was only me and you that read it, <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be a great a great feeling. With your first comic, then you you just decided to do it, and you you had the artist. How, what was the what was the process there, and how long did it take for that to to come to fruition? Yeah, I, th- I think I probably spent a year writing it v- very slowly, right? Yeah. So, so I didn't have any aspirations to like do comic cons or be signed. It was re- mm-hmm. it was just fun for mm-hmm. me, just something to say yeah. I I've yeah, yeah. done, right? And you're working the same time, right? You're working full time. Of course, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, it was trying to find time. I freelanced as well, so okay. my weekends were often taken up with with work, um, and comics would fit in whenever they could. So, yeah, um, yeah probably about a year of writing just to uh, leisurely pace you know scrapping the script reworking it trying to 
until I finally rested on something I liked. Meanwhile, Chris, the artist, was doing character concepts, you know, thematic, you know, mood boards, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, just to get the look and feel down, because obviously, like, comics are a static medium, but you want it to pop off the page, if that makes yeah. sense. You want to... Yeah. You want the reader to have a real sense of place and be able to put themselves in that environment, mm-hmm. in that open world, that, yep. you know, to use that phrase. Um, so there was a lot of that, a lot of iteration. And then, yeah, probably all in all, about a year it took to, to make. Um, and that's the first issue. That was, that was the first issue you were working on. Was that, was that the whole series? The first, the first book, I would say. So it was never coined as an issue one to begin with. It was, it was purely a, a self-contained story. Okay. So, so what then happened, I thought, you know, I went to Edinburgh Comic Con um, just as a punter mm-hmm. to show pages of the book. I mean, it wasn't even printed yet, right? It was on my iPad and I was just being that guy going around saying, hey, can you check it, check it? <laughs> um, but everyone, you, what, what comic um, writers will find is that the community is so friendly. No one will say no. They'll all take it, take a look at your concept with keen interest and give you feedback. And Cool. Um, so that's what happened to me. How, um, how, was, it? Yeah. how was that? Because as someone, it's basically, you know, you weren't into comics before. All, all your life to go to a comic con yeah. we've discussed this before because um, we had like uh, Jim Zub and, uh, who writes for Marvel and Chris Golden who's written X-Men and stuff and Mike Carey and stuff and they've all said that comic cons are it, it seems to be yeah. a very big thing especially in America it's like that's what you have to do Yeah, it's not a very British it, I, personally, I, I out of your comfort zone. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. I would be totally out of my comfort zone yeah. going up. And going, Could you look at this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably rubbish. Sorry to bother yeah, you. Yeah, I'd, 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 you feel. I'd imagine I would feel like a total nobody just yeah. in this uh-huh. world of people who are probably know what they're doing, and I'm just didn't have a clue what's going on. Well, so there's a few interesting things there actually. So like, um, you you look at things like San Diego Comic Con, where it's mm. a bit more on the corporate side. It's like the big Marvel yeah, yeah. trailers. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, totally. it's not so much about the comics anymore. The, the British scene, I would say everyone... So, so the areas that all the independent comic writers stand in and have their tables at is called Comics Village. That's how we kind of refer to mm-hmm. it. Everyone in there, what you'll find, they still remember where they came from. Yeah. Nobody... They remember what it's like to be you, mm-hmm. essentially the person coming up saying, hey, can you check out my concept? Can I get some feedback? Um, I've never... I've never... I mean, I get loads of people coming up to me and I'll happily look at their stuff and give them pointers... Um, I, I don't know of anyone who wouldn't. So mm-hmm. I think that maybe the British mentality is a bit different mm-hmm. there. Um, but certainly it's a place where it is a bit weird the first time you go to one. Yeah. It's a bit like, oh, what is it going to be? But um, you'll probably find there, there, I mean, a lot of people I know who have uh, anxieties and they don't like crowds or they're perhaps a bit shy. They just come alive at these things mm-hmm. and say they feel like kind of safe spaces for everyone where mm-hmm. all are welcome. And um, so I would definitely say, uh, to anyone who wants feedback on a script or even their artwork, you know, bring yeah. your portfolio, bring some script notes, bring anything and, and mm-hmm. see what people say and you won't be told no, I, I yeah, guarantee yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so sorry, I interrupted your story. So so you went to Edinburgh Comic Con with, with Bust the first time, or a few yeah. pages anyway, sorry. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So so I picked up a few um, uh, business cards from people and, and some emails and people just, uh, my mate, my, it's how I met my, one of my best friends, James, actually. We're still good friends now. Um and he just said, yeah, send me more, send me it when it's done. And we got talking and I think it was him that said, oh, you should do Glasgow Comic Con. It's coming up and you can share a table with my friend Janine, who's an artist. And they worked on a comic together. And she was like, yeah, you can buddy up on my table. And I had maybe like 20, 30 copies of Bust One. Mm-hmm. Or, or it wasn't even Bust One then. It was just Bust, you know, there was no mm-hmm. plan to continue it. Yeah. People bought it and I had my email address inside. And no joke, people were like, 
getting in touch with me saying, oh, this is really cool. When's the second one coming out? And I was like, oh yeah, I could like, <laughs> I could continue this. So because it was a complete story, I kind of did um, a bit of a time skip and then continued the story yeah. there. Um, then all of a sudden it, it was a thing and, and it was almost like, like my failed novel. It was like a happy accident that people liked it and yeah. then got in touch. And that was the kind of kick I needed to say, yeah, this is like an outlet now. This is like something I, I can do on top of the nine to five to mm-hmm. be creative and have an outlet. And yeah. yeah, and it's just worked out from there. Really. And, and was that, so when you, was that before the Kickstarter for Bust, I take it? Was that, or is this, yeah. This was, this oh, is... No, so, so, um, so, um, Glasgow Comic Con was where we launched the book. Um, ah, right, so we okay. had Kickstarted it actually. So I'll backtrack a little bit. So when I was a games journalist, I interviewed a lot of, game developers who were using the platform. Mm-hmm. And this was like, Kickstarter was still really new at this point. So this is right about 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so through interviewing all these developers using it, some campaigns that had failed, some that had succeeded, I started to get a really good idea of how it worked, mm-hmm. how to market it, how to like get the name out there, how to run a good campaign or how to avoid running a bad one. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm definitely quite lucky in that regard where I kind of knew how to do it. So I started pricing up the book and I just thought, oh God, I can't afford this. <laughs> um, and again, it was just a friend, I forget who, but someone definitely um, just said, oh, you could try a Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, what's that? Uh, you know, I, I knew what it was, but I was like, how does that work for me? How do I, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like a scary feeling to mm-hmm. start putting that campaign page together. Yeah, yeah. It becomes publish. real at that point. It's yeah. like, yeah, because then it becomes like a real thing. And yeah. then obviously once you hit publish on your campaign, it's all systems go, you have to be on it. And you put yourself out there for everyone to comment on. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, big a big step. It's a transparency that you don't get traditionally with things like a, a Twitter handle. Yeah, you really with a Kickstarter, it's like you let people into the creative process. They see it developing over time. It's, it's a great thing, really. Um, but yeah, I just just did it. Like like I just I'm very much a person who'll just be like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, it might not work, but you know, but. And it was mostly uh, readers of my journalism that backed it. So I was very lucky to have a sort of fan base from that yeah. side coming over to comics. Um, and is, yeah. is that is that how you sort of promoted it through forums and stuff like that? That you of people you knew or readers and things like that. Is that is that where you got your main base of backers in that initial? Kickstarter? Yeah. So, so so it was largely on my, on my personal accounts. So, uh-huh. so now I have like um, you know Facebook uh, groups and yeah. pages. Sorry for for all my comics mm-hmm. and. I'm a lot more savvy now with the marketing, but it was really just on my own personal feed mm-hmm. to my, that echo chamber of my yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, and, and I still like, I mean, it's imagining if they hadn't taken a punt on the idea. Because yeah. when you think about it, Kickstarter, Kickstarters really are, you're paying for the promise of getting something at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I could never, I'm, I maybe wouldn't have finished that book, you know, maybe yeah. something would have happened that meant I couldn't deliver, yeah. but... I, I mean, it sounds corny, but it's so grateful that people did it yeah. and took a chance on... Because it's book. quite a nebulous thing, isn't it? And you're, as you said, you're asking folk to take a punt on something which doesn't exist yet. And it is. It's, an, it's nice when folk are, have that trust in you, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's why things like updating people on the creative process and letting them into that and seeing like old, you know, proof of concept, uh, you know, uh, development journals, that kind of thing. They appreciate it because they see that you're working hard on the thing yeah. and yeah. you're trying to do the best for yeah. them. Um, and I think... The more campaigns you do, you'll see you should you should if you're doing it right, see the numbers go up and up and up with mm-hmm. each campaign yeah. because if you run a good campaign, the end People end product they'll come yeah. back exactly yeah. 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 So um, it's worth it's worth just being as transparent and honest and sort of let people into that process as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, how did you work out right? How much is this going to cost me 
how many books did you plan on printing and that sort of thing? I was a bit silly about it, mm. <laughs> to be honest. I I didn't do too much homework. I mean, I didn't I didn't, for example, like price up how much a print run of X amount of copies yeah. would be. I really should have done that. Um, postage completely blindsided me as well because yeah. I think we had something like it was only. I mean, I say only, but I don't mean this to you know play it down. But 120 backers for the first book, mm-hmm. getting over the 100 mark was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hadn't priced up, you know, for example, if a percentage of those people come from America, how much more postage is going to be. That's the real dangerous one because, like, you could price up for... Even if you're experienced at Kickstarter, you could price up postage based on what you think. But then let's say, you know, 50% of your backers are from Australia. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, that number. So I I didn't actually do very much of that. I kind of set a target of, like, I think it was, like, £300 because all the art was paid for at this point. Mm-hmm. It was really just to cover print costs and, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so had you paid for the art yourself or you could have hired the artist and said, right, okay, Chris, here's, I'll pay you for the art and then after that, I'll, I'll, run, it, I'll run it myself type thing? Um, so all the, all the art was paid for, so half up front, half on delivery. Right, um, okay. I'm, I mean, you, you guys all know yourself. I mean, there's a lot of this like, oh, you know, you'll get royalties. I won't yeah. pay you anything mm. now. Like in comics, that's a big no-no. Yeah. In fact, like writers who do that get like ousted on Twitter, like oh, really? by artists. They'll be like, check this guy out, trying to <laughs> sell me on exposure. And, you know, like, and um, yeah. so no, but so that that's, we were kind of lucky in that I, because I was doing freelance as well. So I had enough money um, scrimped and saved to pay Chris to do all that. Um, so all we really need was needed was postage and um, printing. Yep. Um, but the first campaign made just over a grand, so we needed three hundred. So Fantastic. the excess yeah. rolled over to the second issue, and so that's how we do it. Everything just goes into a big pot. Whatever we've got yep. left goes into the next one, so we can ask for less each time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's almost kind of becoming this self perpetuating machine now. So yeah. the money we make goes into everything, and. Um, Ideally, I'd love to just like run everything off Kickstarter, um, and just keep that going. But you know, I'm always worried that the next campaign will be the one that fails or like the bubble bursts yeah. and people go off mm-hmm. the platform. So I think we all kind of live in fear that that might happen one day. But and, and you're you're saying we? I mean, you've worked with different artists across your projects. Is it is it something that you when you come up with an idea? Obviously, the idea probably initially is yours. But do you how? collaborative is the process of the story or do you you say right this is the story and just pay them to do it essentially or is it a discussion with your artist and say what do you think and go back and forth i guess it kind of depends on on the creative team and the project to be honest so for example with um with bus in fact in fact every script i do um the panel description notes are kind of descriptive to a point Mm-hmm. where I've read scripts where like everything is yeah. described and there's no room for like creative uh, uh, license for on the artist's mm-hmm. part I'm not a fan of that because I, I can only imagine having to write a comic on spec yeah and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't like that restrictive uh, uh, brief so to speak so um, I always kind of keep it a little bit loose a little bit vague where 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 it needs to be mm-hmm. you know you wouldn't want to be vague about like a pivotal scene or something no yeah 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 um Whereas other artists do like the clarity. Um, you know, Killtopia, for example, uh, the panel description, just because the, we want the pages to be so dense, I mean, there's a lot going on in the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the panel descriptions can be quite long, but Craig, the artist, like, is just so great at like dropping in Easter eggs and little uh, references to things and just adding his own little spin on it. And 
I'm just always excited to see how he interprets what I've given yeah. him, and it's yeah. always like it's always great. And it's like um, there's some there's some panels where I haven't said very much, and he does something amazing. And I'm just, I, I went through the book so many times and just kept on finding little things here and there. Yeah. And it's a nice yeah. thing to see, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes artists will just get in touch with you and say, you know, I don't think this panel description works. Looking at it mm-hmm. once it's drawn, because and and often I'll go. Yeah, actually, now I can see it on the page drawn up. I kind of get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that in my head, you know, the, when I was writing it. So you have to be you have to be open to positive, uh, yeah. constructive feedback yeah, you know, yeah, from yeah, your artist yeah. to yeah. sort of collaborate into that degree. Um, also, things like look look and feel of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, if you write a bio for a character, the artist still needs to interpret that, and you know, it's everything from like their stance, their demeanor, their facial expressions, the way they carry themselves. Um, so sometimes it's quite nice to get an artist to just do a character sheet, mm-hmm. you know, different poses, different expressions, and just to get them to get that the feel of that character down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because imagine that, that you want to play to your strengths, and I guess artists, the artist's strength is is art. So you want to. There's no point in hiring a great artist and saying no, no, just do exactly what I said. You want them to, to be the best they can, and yeah, yeah, bring make sense to yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. bring their own stuff to the table. Yeah, and I guess you have to trust, especially if the artist is quite well established, like why they've got so much work. They obviously bring calling mm-hmm. cards or some sort of like a style that's their own to the table that, yeah. that makes them so popular, makes their work stand out. You wouldn't want to quash that, you, you know, by, mm-hmm. by giving them too prescriptive a brief. So yeah, yeah totally. I, th- I think it's just being respectful of their craft as much as they should be respectful of yours, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as, as you've created more and more comics, um, with each project, do you... Have do you have artists approaching you, or are you always going out and saying, "Right, can you? Would you would want to work on this together? How does um, it work?" Yeah, no, I mean, I've had I'm I'm now getting people approaching me. I, right. I had someone actually; it was a weird one. I had someone approach me asking if they could draw the next issue of Kiltopia, and I was okay. like, "Sorry, we, you, that's not kind of how it works." <laughs> yeah, um, I've got an artist locked in for the series. You yeah. know, it's not like, uh, but it was nice. You know, I, I was really polite about it and just yeah. said, "Oh." that I think they were quite new. Yeah. They were looking mm-hmm. for the first gig. I said, that's, that's not really how it works, but do you know, maybe we could get you doing a print, a guest print, you know, for yeah. the Kickstarter yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, cause you never know that person might go on to be quite, you don't want to burn, yeah. burn bridges, no, what I'm saying, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. by being dismissive or so, um, but, um, you know, there's things like Facebook groups and if you follow a lot of people on Twitter and they follow you back, you know, artists and stuff are quite, uh, active on there. Mm-hmm. You could just put out something and say, Hey, I'm looking for, an artist for this kind of book, it's in this kind of genre, I'm looking for this kind of style, someone should put their hand up. You know, if you get other artists to share it and, mm-hmm. yep. and that thing, you'll probably get someone coming back and saying, hey, that's my kind of style, that's my kind of yeah. genre. Yeah. Can, can we work together? It's almost like classified ads, you know, like yeah, saying, yeah. I'm looking for uh-huh. this, this yeah. is my budget, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's even some Facebook groups where their sole purpose is to pair up artists and uh, writers right, okay. in comics. That's so cool. uh, yeah, there's plenty of places you can find that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and you've although you went you've always went went the Kickstarter route. You've no, you're not completely independent, are you? Right? Like you've got you've you've actually you've paired up with a publisher for your latest comics, BHP. Is that right? Yeah, BHP. that's for Kiltopia. Yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> we were familiar with BHP actually a long time before that happened. So they also run Glasgow Comic Con. Oh right, okay. So we had tabled there a few times. In fact, that was my first con uh, with Lost yes. One. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done that a, a few years now. Um, we pitched my series Vessels to them as well, but they weren't looking for fantasy at that time, so it was a polite rejection. But um, they're really good in that. They'll give you some feedback notes on the, on it to say, hey, here's how we think you could improve it to pitch elsewhere. You know, best of luck. 
Uh, and we just kept in touch, you know, again, not burning bridges and, yeah. and keeping yourself visible and on, on the radar. Once they saw how much Killtopia wanted made on Kickstarter, I think they, they must have thought, there's something in this, this has hit something. And they contacted us about, you oh, know, do you want to yeah, yeah. come on the label and have a chat? Um, and I think it's nice at their kind of level where, it, you know, the, the co- things like contracts and stuff like that, not to get too much into it, but mm. uh, they're flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they realize not every project is the same, not every artist is the same. So uh, you can, you know, it's all, it was a very trans- transparent process and quite yeah. collaborative. And they've been a great partner, really, to be honest. They've mm-hmm. helped, helped us get to, to cons and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's Brilliant. been really positive, yeah. yeah. And what what did they bring then to the table that you didn't have when you were doing bus, for instance? Was it was it a? Really did they get you in sh- in shops and yeah, like yeah. That? So uh, distribution is the big one. Yeah. So uh, so the way distribution works in comics really is that you need to um, get in with a distributor. So companies like Diamond, uh, Turnaround, uh, Dark Horse do it as mm. well in the states. And basically, what they do is send a, a catalog out to all the comic shops around the world to say, "Here's what's coming out in six months' time. Order mm-hmm. them now." And that's how they order in everything from Marvel to DC, everything, even the indies. So ideally, you want to be in that brochure, but it's obviously, you know, if a comic shop turns around and says, "Hey, this looks great. We're going to order five thousand copies." If I'm just a little indie guy, I'll be like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't fulfill that." So that's where a publisher can come in mm-hmm. to help you, um, you know, get the capital to to print that big mm-hmm. run and. Uh, you know, open loads of doors. I mean, um, potentially, you know, for things like, I'm just speaking generally here, yeah. but publishers are good at getting you into um, meetings with uh, TV, movie, video mm-hmm. game adaptations, mm-hmm. so that kind of thing. And that's really where, you know, if, if you are in, in it for the money as a, you know, to make it a full-time thing, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's the probably, I wouldn't say the easiest way, but the most bankable way to do that. Yeah, because I say comic comics are becoming a bit like uh, Spotify for mu- musicians. You know, um, you could do comic cons, you could do really well, but then after all the costs, you're making pennies on the pound, yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. artists getting pennies for plays on Spotify, it's mm-hmm. not not the biggest. But what you really need to do is sell the rights to your thing, or yeah. mm-hmm. maybe not sell them, but you know, you know, lease them or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that to mm-hmm. for adaptation or merchandise. Um, not that's easier said than done of course everyone would like to have yeah. a Netflix series but yeah. um, but that is the sort of uh, the big that's when the big bucks start yeah, to happen yeah. The, yeah. <clears throat> but a publisher can do that for you you know if, they, if they're worth their salt they will um, pitch you to rights agencies management uh, agencies that kind of thing and try and get you that deal but mm-hmm. yeah but um, with BHP I mean it really is just distribution bigger reach I mean we've I mean they have a table at these shows as well where we, we're at um, they've got us into comic shops in the States and Europe. Um, we're, we're localized in the Ukraine as well. Oh, wow. Right. So Ukrainian publisher got cool. in touch with us to say, hey, Cyberpunk's really big here. I didn't know this at the time. It's right. massive there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love Killtopia. We'd like to translate it and do a short print run of 200 copies. So we sold the rights to them and they did it. And, and now it's being sold there. So it's, it's, That's awesome. it's yeah. mad, you know. Yeah. Like, but um, So yeah, and I think and that all came through the publisher. So yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just casting that wider net. I couldn't have done that on yeah, my own. Yeah, definitely. Because again, if you know, if someone said, "Hey, we'll take ten thousand copies of Kiltopia," I'll be like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, take out that loan." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. Uh, and when you just for the people listening um, who might not be familiar, if you were, how, how do you go about? Because obviously, with a book, it's there's an easy or there's a well-known process yeah. of sending your synopsis and first three chapters or whatever the agent or publisher is asking for with a comic how do you pitch that to a publisher 
So um, the best way to do it would be not harass them on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I, I see that sometimes. <laughs> hey, man, I sent you a picture ages ago. You know, DM me back. It's like, no. Um, every publisher, like, like not like, a, I guess, like a literary, uh, literary agents and stuff like that, have submission guidelines mm-hmm. on their on their website. The the biggest example I can, uh, biggest bit of advice I can give anyone is follow that to the letter. Mm-hmm. Don't deviate from what they want. Otherwise, you're going to hack them off immediately. Yeah. Um, there are, I say, there's variances between different publishers. Some ask for different things, uh, but I, I could probably rattle off actually some really quick, like the constant ones that you mm-hmm. see at, at most publishers. So you have to have a team in place. You can't go to them as just a writer and say, "Hey, find me an artist if okay. if you want it." You need to have an artist on board because what they'll ask you for is typically the first ten pages of the book done, like completely finished. Yeah. But they'll want to know that that artist, you know. They're not just taking your writing if they sign you. They're taking that art style because yeah. they work together. So if you were then to turn around and say, actually, the artist that did my pitch isn't doing the full book, they'd yeah. be like, well, that's not what we yeah. want, mm. you know. Um, so fully lettered, fully drawn, 10 pages. They'll typically want you to do a full arc. So not of the issue of the whole run on one side of A4. Because if you can't succinctly tell what the whole arc's about, yeah. it's too complicated. Yeah. Generally, you yeah. know that that's yeah. what that's how they all kind of look at that, uh, and then just covering covering letter, right? And that would be just almost like a, the first question, you know, tell us about yourself. That first question at a job yeah. interview, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but it's credentials. I've done this, I've done that, and you don't have to have had awards or kickstarters. I mean, there's plenty of new writers who have been signed, yeah, you know, first time. Yeah. I'm sure it's happened, you know, if not first time, then early on. So you don't have to have, you know, big credentials and stuff. If the idea is great, it's great. They'll yeah. take it. Yeah. But it's just talk about yourself. What makes you want to know that you're passionate about it? Yeah. Why this story? Why now? What, what, what compelled you to do this? And if they see that you're interested, you're interested in it and you're invested in it, they'll probably think, okay, this person's really into it. The idea is good. They might take a punt on you. Um, I think that's about it really, to be honest. So it's, I think there again there are variances and you have to watch out for publishers closing and opening their submission yeah. windows. Mm-hmm. I mean that does mm-hmm. happen. Uh, you find a lot of publishers and I like, don't take submissions at all, like mm-hmm. Oni Press. Yeah. Um, there's a few publishers I've been told in confidence they'll come to you if they want to hear yeah. from you. Right. And that'll be like an agent going around a Comic Con. Mm-hmm. They'll see your stuff, you know, maybe ask you for a card and then they'll get in touch or something oh, right, like okay. that. Yeah. Um, or just word of mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things like uh, there's publishers like for example um, IDW and Titan. Yeah. Mm-hmm who do uh, licensed stuff, so yeah. video game comics. Yeah. Um, if, you do a co- if you've done an independent comic that's kind of like the style of a video game they're doing a series for, they might know of it and then say, hey, you're st- you, we, like th- we like your handle on the sci-fi genre. Yeah. We're adapting the new Star Wars video game or something. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk about them? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it can work. That kind yeah. of, yeah. again, being on people's radar, just being visible. And I think it can all come around like that. I mean, I think, again, what, what we're hearing then is that if you want to work in this world of comics or create comics, yeah. going to these Comic-Cons so important. is so important. Way more yeah. than a book or a, yeah. or a script seems to be. It seems to be, I, I, I guess, because it is a very visual medium. And also because it, there doesn't seem to be that middleman process no, of an no, agent. No, an agent, yeah. It seems the, to be very the, much yeah. you, you and the publisher. And, yeah. Yeah, and it com- that comes with pros and cons. I mean, the pro is that it's quite a low barrier to entry, and I mean, mm. I just mean, I mean that. And all you need to do to get a comic con table is apply for one okay. and pay for it. Um, now, some comic cons will will want a bit more 
a body of work behind you before they'll entertain mm-hmm. yeah. taking you on. Um, but then the danger is doing too many cons. I mean, my first year of doing full, full year of doing cons, I maybe did like 20. Mm-hmm. You think 20 weekends out of yeah, the year? Yeah, it's quite a lot. Yeah. When you've got a full-time job yeah. and, and being able to afford to travel to the, mm-hmm. these places. Yeah, and that's all, all around the UK, I take it. All around the UK. So yeah. so yeah, yeah, the London one is a killer because it's a three-day show. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's it's a great <laughs> show. Um, but the big thing, all these shows you have to think about is how likely is it I'm going to break even mm-hmm. or make a profit? Mm-hmm. Again, not in it for the profit, but you don't want to be skinning yourself. You no, don't want no, to be absolutely. like making, yeah, running yeah. out of money, you know. So the big things are, yeah, travel. Do I need to get more uh, books printed for stock at the show? Factor in that cost. Uh, I mean, just getting by for the weekend, you know, food, you know, going out for the after drinks, things like that, mm-hmm. all these costs. So I think even even at a beginner level, being a bit choosy about the shows you do is, is wise. Um, don't do too many. Dip a toe in and just see which shows actually work for you. Because mm-hmm. there's some shows that I sell great at. There's others I don't. It's not the show's fault. It's maybe just the fan base that's cultivated yeah. around mm-hmm. it. it. might be more you know, into sci-fi or more into steampunk or something else, you know. Uh, so you win some shows, you lose some shows. But over time, you start to get a feel for I might not do that one next year. Yeah. I might see, I might go as a punter and get a feel for it instead. Mm-hmm. See if it's changed, you know, how mm-hmm. the fan base has changed. Uh, so <clears throat> it really is just a case of applying for these shows uh, and just, yeah, turning up and seeing what happens, really. And when you go to a show and you and you sell a comic to someone at, at, at the show, how does that work between you and the artist? Do you, do, do you agree a cut between the two of you or have you paid for the art and that's that's all the artist gets from it? Um, it's quite flexible, actually, to be honest. I mean, I, I've been told a lot of the time that the done thing is just that once you pay for that art, uh, the royalties don't come into play. You basically bought that, yeah. it's yours. Yeah, the yeah. writer yeah. or creator owns that now. That's not always the case. I mean, for Killtopia, there's a royalty split. Um, and I think it's because Craig had such a, a, a massive part in cultivating the look and feel of it and the yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we sell comics on cover alone, which he yeah. did. Mm-hmm. There's people that, it's quite, it happens, it's happens, it happens exactly like this. I'm standing at my table at a comic con. Someone will walk past, like, kind of catch the, our big <laughs> banner behind our mm-hmm. table in their periphery and literally double take and go, what's that about? Yeah. yeah. And I've sold it to them. Yeah. And some, some people have literally picked it up and went, Oh yeah, that reminds me of Akira, or that reminds mm-hmm. me of like a manga. Yeah, yeah. Or anime. The art is so striking in that book, though. It does, it does yeah. jump up and grab you. The colors are, are fantastic. Yeah, and and literally, I've had this verbatim. You know, someone said to me, "Oh yeah, cool, I'll take it." I'm like, "Do you want to know anything about it?" No, no, don't spoil it. I'll, I'll just take it. I'm like, "Oh, cool." So naturally, there's there's got to be some sort of a compensation uh, yeah, for, yeah. for for the artist there. But uh, typically, it's once the art's paid for, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but again. Different publishers have different rules on that. You know, if people get a credit on the cover, maybe they get a percentage yeah. by default because their their feet they're named on the on cover. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I'd say actually, when you're that's probably another good tip for when thinking about which publishers to pitch. Just have a feel for like what are they offering because it can't. You know, there are some smaller publishers. I had this in the states actually. I had a publisher approach me. I won't, I won't name them, of course, but. Uh, I looked through the contract. It was just a sample contract. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, we can offer you this and that. And it was like, <clears throat> if we sell the rights to your comic to TV or film, we want 75% of oh, wow. everything thereafter from that that deal. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's, 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 that's <laughs> on an IP that I've created. 
yeah. yeah, you've done all the hard work. It's not right. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. there are some publishers out there again. I won't name them, but um, I, certainly in my experience, there's been one or two. It's mostly them on the American side. They hoover up young, you know, young or yeah. fledgling comics. We'll sell your comic, and all they want is the IP rights. They yeah. just basically hoover up all these properties from people who are just desperate to get their first deal. And you'll look if you look at the clauses, it's always like seventy five percent, eighty percent of the film rights, and it's like. Come on. Yeah, you're not left mm. as much after that. Come you? on. Yeah. It's like, come on, you know, um, but that's what they'll do. They'll just pitch until one of them lands and then mm-hmm. they've made potentially millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just say, just be super vigilant about that. Don't be afraid to ask the publisher questions. Certainly, again, with BHP, we went through that contract line by line mm-hmm. over like a beer and just like, do, do you want to tweak? Do you want, do you want to tweak any of that? Do you want to, is that fine? Do you understand it? Like we could elaborate more. And I see with, with them, they were happy to, to, to do that with yeah, you. we just went. Oh, wow. So their office is in Glasgow, right? So uh, uh, we we just went down for the day and just uh, went through it and had a coffee yeah. afterwards, had a drink afterwards. And it was just like I mean, that, that must be a really good sign of a of a place who are willing to go through that level. With they really, they really yeah. want you to. They want you. You don't just want your work. They want you to be there on your terms, type thing. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, like no word of lie. They've been so supportive of us yeah. and patient as well. So because because we are still before Killtopia got signed, we were in the fully independent. Right? We we. Mm-hmm. We're not accustomed to the way that all this bigger side of it works. Yeah. So we've, we're learning too. And they've been just taking us along on that journey with us. Wow, that's great. Uh, with them. And, and, and it's just been mega collaborative. Because if our comic gets you know picked up, like that example there, if it gets picked up for something, mm-hmm. then we all win, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. We're all pals yeah. in that, you know? So, yeah. yeah. We've not actually asked, uh, for, again, for the people listening, do you want to give us a brief pressy yeah. of what Killtopia is? Yeah, sure. So um, it's a cyberpunk story set in future Japan. Um, where Tokyo in, in the far future has been taken over by killer robots. So these mecha they just appear one day and start destroying the city. Nobody knows where they came from. But rather than fix the problem, the Japanese government was like, hey, we can get rich off of this. Let's turn the whole district where these mon- these uh, mechs live into a blood sport called Kiltopia. It's a bit like the running man, you know? So, yeah. it, you know, the promise of hunting these robots, selling the parts for scrap, um, getting corporate sponsorship, you know, selling your characters, uh, your bounty hunters persona to a Netflix show or something like that yeah. is so appealing that all these crazy, heavily armed bounty hunters come from all around the world to make their fortune in Japan hunting these robots. Mm-hmm. One of the robots develops sentience. Um, and basically he teams up with one of these rookie bounty hunters who's just useless. But they team up to try and cure like a plague that's killing the city. Um and yeah, so they sort of team up um, because he's sentient and he's the cure to this disease. All the bounty hunters want him. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Battle Royale, a bit like yeah. uh, Running yeah. Man, a bit yeah. like that. So um, <clears throat> actually the idea came out of uh, the, the NHS. All right. That's, you know, video game stuff aside, I started to think, right, I want to do something that's Japanese, brash action, big, you know, big personas, you know, the bounty hunters. Then I was thinking about the whole... You know, at the time the NHS it was getting talked about, are they going to sell it off? Are they going to like privatize yeah. it? Is it going to become like the American thing? And I started to think like, if I broke my arm tomorrow in that system, I could not afford to get it fixed yeah. under the American system, right? So then I started to think, okay, I could do that in a futuristic Japanese setting, and that's where this plague came in. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the world has it. Um, it's like a nano machines, little yeah. robots mm-hmm. that are spawned from the robots that have taken over the city, and literally your insides are being terraformed. 24-7 as fast as they can heal so it's like constant pain kind of thing <laughs> but everyone's dirt poor they can't afford to 
medicate themselves constantly, so that's why they become bounty hunters to hunt these robots and put their life on the line to afford the, not the cure, but just something to relieve the pain. Um, so that's kind of, there's a slight political bent to it, but that's yeah, kind of where yeah. that came from. Um, but of course, really, it's just a story about bounty hunters killing each other for, <laughs> for money, fame, and fortune. Well, I mean, it's funny uh, that you didn't, you know, uh, grow up reading comics because I, I, I thought it had a very, you know, it would fit very well in a sort of 2000 AD types type universe because it does have that it's got the big action the big brash action but also does have that sort of slightly political side yeah. to it as well which I think yeah. some of the best 2000 AD stories have that as well so it's interesting the second issue um, I wasn't sure how this was going to come across but in the reviews like and, and readers have just really picked up on it the second one's more about um, kind of cancel culture so the there's this like I'm not to spoil of course but uh, I'll talk kind of generally mm-hmm. but um, one of the main characters is the biggest and best bounty hunter in the world. She's like, uh, her name's Stiletto. She's hideously wealthy, just av- avaricious, just like greed. Has, she has like her own cinematic universe, like clothing lines. She's just like a corporate sellout. But something happens to her in the second book where her star starts to fall and everyone starts turning on her on social. Mm-hmm. Her stock starts to dip. People start selling all of her merchandise on eBay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, how quickly your fan base can turn on you kind of thing. Yeah. And um, it must have worked. I mean, everyone's kind of mentioned it in the reviews and stuff. So, yeah. But I just thought that's so relevant these days. Like that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. Yeah. Someone can say something perfectly honest online and, and, and not inflammatory at all and just get hounded for it. Yeah. yeah. It happened to me a lot when I was a games journalist. Literally for giving, <laughs> you know, a game, a review, a, a 7 out of 10 at review, at, at review stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Someone would go, well, that's my favourite game franchise. You don't know anything about games, you corporate hack. The amount of abuse you used to, I'm it's, not even joking. It's, it's crazy. Crazy. The comment section. Well, yeah, it's funnily enough, I, I was, I was reading a, a review, or a, a, I saw a review of a, it was a, of a, um, board game. And then I was reading the comments and like people were, who obviously liked this game, the review wasn't a great review, but it was a fair one. It went into depth. Um, the comments were like, I think these guys are, you know, this company is owned by this company. We can get them all sacked. And it's like, what? It's, like, oh, it's, right. it's, a, it's a subjective thing. Yeah. It's like, it's, and, and, and as long as the review says why that person doesn't like it, you can read it and say, that won't bother me. Surely no, it's better can, that they're honest yeah. rather than... Exactly, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's crazy. And yeah. you read some of the comments, you think, why is your entire life dedicated to just living this horrible troll-like existence on the internet. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, it's one of the reasons I quit games journalism. I because it was, imagine, it was yeah. daily. Mm-hmm. I could write something about... You couldn't win, though, right? So if you wrote something positive about Microsoft, Sony fanboys would be like, oh, yeah, yeah you're getting bribed by Microsoft <laughs> yeah. to write that positive article. It's like, yeah, that's why I'm still making not very good money as a game journalist. <laughs> Obviously, I'm being bribed. Um, so I just, like, chucked loads of that in the second book, just pulled from my own sort of experience yeah, of yeah. that. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it seemed to work out. So yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that'll click with so many folk. Know exactly what you're seeing when that when that stuff happens. I think so. Yeah, and and, and the third and the third book, which is written now, not again, not to give too much away. It's more about um, kind of relationships. You know, there's um, a lot of stuff about in in a, in an age where we're kind of like, and I I'm guilty of this too. Mm-hmm. Glued to phones, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a I'm not like a paranoid person when it comes to like, oh, my relationship's going to break down because I'm on Twitter for ten minutes a day. You know, I'm not. But it's almost like in this futuristic society where everyone's ill because of the, this disease that's mm-hmm. destroying Tokyo, they're trying to find release somewhere else. It's a lot of like virtual reality, internet, you know, addiction, that kind of thing. Yeah. Has like human interaction taken a massive hit because of that. Yeah. So um, one of the characters that's introduced in the third one's an android, but 
made to look quite human and act and yeah. have the same emotions as humans. So it's kind of, is that a solution to the problem? You know, making, you know, artificial emotion and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I won't go too much into it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to dance around the plot yeah. twists, but, uh, but it's quite, I mean, yeah. that's a, a natural is part of the point of doing a kind of sci-fi world is that you can use it as a mirror, like all the classic sci-fi has to issues that are affecting mm-hmm. us right now and do it in an entertaining way with a bit of a message. And that's always going to land a lot nicer than just a standard action story. With stuff. Yeah, because I suppose that you don't want to make something too abstract that doesn't resonate no, with people. Exactly. Do you know? yeah, so I think yeah. I think is there's always got to be like personally speaking, there has to be that kind of anchor that yeah. people can relate to it. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I can see myself in that situation or or that's that's so true yeah. today, you know, today, that kind of thing. Black 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 mirror takes stuff and runs it to the total ludicrous extreme, <laughs> but there's a kernel in there you can, where you can see yourself, yeah. you know, in it and and that's what why it works so well, I think. Yeah. Oh definitely, yeah, yeah. Oh absolutely. You can totally I mean that, and that show's really scary, like predicting things that have happened yeah, as well. Yeah, so it's absolutely. Like, yeah. It's quite scary. It's not actually. quite far fetched as maybe we thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about so so you've 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 kind of got your setting from a from a video game type thing. You've got inspiration from a, a place, and you've you've got your story idea, you know, the NHS thing in your head. And how what's your actual writing process? How do when you sit down to actually write? How do you plan it out? Do you how many drafts did you that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, uh, without exaggeration, I actually scrapped the the drafts for Killtopia One about twenty times. Okay, like, completely scrapped it because right. it just wasn't working. There's something about. I mean, that was probably the longest writing process I've ever done. But that's only because me and Craig said, "Let's let's try and not get signed. Like like, yeah. like no, don't let's not get hung up on getting signed with this one. But let's write it as if it's our last chance ever to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, I we were so ruthless with like culling things and just. I was still at that point. I was quite. I mean, this is a few years ago now, so I was still a bit, still a bit green, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Um, I'd read it. I'd be happy with it for a few weeks. I'd come back, you know, with fresh eyes and go, nah, delete." <laughs> Craig would be like, "Why? Why did you do that? Why keep some of it?" I'm like, "It's all up here in my head, you know." And then <clears throat> just reiteration, and then I, it was brutal. I'll never do it that way. You would just wipe it from your computer. It's <clears throat> completely gone. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite good. At, I'm quite good at retaining move. it in my head. Like, I, it's like comics I haven't even written yet. I could still play back to you right now what I know the okay, arc is going to yeah, be. Like, it's yeah. kind of I've gone over it so many times in my head, and I kind of need ideas to gestate a bit in my head before I think. Okay, because mm-hmm. the danger is, and I've done this before. You write a really good first issue of an arc, then you're all all out of ideas. You can't yeah. see a way to mm-hmm. continue it. So I procrastinate a lot. It's why I mean I'm 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 worth thinking of ideas in my head for like 2021 and 2022 mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Um, but with Killtopia, it has actually evolved a lot. So now my process is so much faster, a lot more confident. Yep. So I'm not like, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to kill it. I'm like, okay, break that idea down, figure out why it doesn't work. Try and like just try rewriting the paragraph or rewriting the 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 dialogue until it until it sticks. But my process right now, um, and it's the one I'm going to keep on using, is it starts with basically kind of thinking like what a publisher would want to see, A4 yeah. arc, mm-hmm. right? Because again, if you can't explain it in that one page, mm-hmm. then it's probably too complex. There's too much going on. Okay. I'll start with that. Then I'll do, um, so I'll definitely do like a character bio kind of thing. Because some publishers do want that. M- most of them don't, but you might get yeah. that. Yeah. Who are these people? You know, these characters, yeah. what makes them tick? Well, what, what's interesting about them? And again, if you can't answer that yourself, then maybe the characters are a bit them. flat. Yeah yeah. 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 So I'll do that. Um, I went, th- I sometimes will write a, uh, another A4 thing about what just what the world is like you know what is the setting because for me being a video game guy the best 
worlds feel like characters. So good examples, uh, Rapture from Bioshock, mm-hmm. like that's such a compelling world and mm-hmm. you really care what happens in it yeah. and to it. So there's no point in playing a game where you're trying to save the world when you don't care about what yeah. happens to it. Yeah. Um, it needs to feel tangible. Once I've got those three things, so rough arc, character profiles, sort of what the world is, then I'll just start planning out uh, an issue-to-issue guide of the whole arc, but really it's just like one or two sentences. In this issue, this happens, then this happens, and this is maybe the cliffhanger. And rinse and yeah, repeat. Yeah, yeah. And then that gives you a good idea of like how many pages you've got to play with per issue, and then it all starts to just build up from there. Then you'll do like page-to-page within that issue. Same thing, just a few words. This happens, and this happens, and this happens. Because um, you don't want to do it, you don't want really to do an issue without that because you, you could get, say it's a 22 page issue, which is the standard, right? You could get to page like 18 and think, right, I've got this much more story yeah. to tell yeah. and not enough space. I've definitely buggered that up. <laughs> um, so then I'll do that. And then it's just a case of just cliff notes. You get one layer up again, cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Okay, more description about what happens on the page, a bit of dialogue. I sometimes I'll write the dialogue. If it's a conversation, I'll write the conversation first. Yeah. I've got in my head what the setting is, but you don't want to get hung up on how the characters are standing when they're talking to each mm-hmm. other, what's going on in yeah, the background. Yeah. I'll do the dialogue first. Sometimes I'll say it out loud. I, I, I'm really a big fan of that process because like, you don't want it to sound forced or kind no. of yeah. unnatural. Yeah. So I have conversations with myself in private <laughs> when my, my wife's out of earshot. Um, and then, yeah, then it's the final draft. So that's a long, it sounds like a long convoluted process, but it's actually, it was worth it. It's just layering it up mm-hmm. from that very basic idea up to something that's tangible. Then you can start deleting bits and breaking bits apart and <laughs> trying to rework it all. But. Do, you, do, you, do you share it with anyone when you're, apart, apart from maybe the artist, but do you, should, do you, are you ever unsure about a bit and show it to your wife or someone else or? She doesn't want to see it, actually. She prefers to get the full right, okay. thing. She doesn't yeah. want to spoil, uh, bless her. But uh, I've got loads of, I've got a good um, li- list of friends now, people that I really trust mm-hmm. as go-tos mm-hmm. for this now. And they're very happy to take a half-done script or yeah. the full thing and give me genuinely good feedback. Mm-hmm. And they don't hold back. And I, th- I think that's one of the main things as well. Don't don't send the script to someone who's just going to be your pal. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. It's yeah. yeah. Because <clears throat> literally, again, almost verbatim, my conversation like, I, conversation I had on Bust One was, <clears throat> oh, hey, did you get a chance to look at the script? What did you think of it? Yeah, it was cool. It was great. I'm like, all of it? Yeah, yeah it was cool. What bits did you like? Oh, it was all good. <laughs> like, okay, I know for a fact, because it's, it's the first draft, it isn't all good. So just, you need to just level with me, man. Yeah. And then I chipped away at him and then he was just like, okay, this didn't work. That wasn't that great. You can maybe do this. and that. So, but that's, I mean? that's, that's what you want, isn't it? You want to be able to have that because it's still just think, well, actually, I don't agree with that, but you want that kind of back and forth. And actually, like getting yeah. the input of more than uh, more than one person is always good, I think, because yeah, absolutely. You know, if if one person says I didn't like that, but yeah, you can take it or leave it or think about it. But if like five people say it, then you start to think, well, maybe that there yeah. is a problem with exactly. that aspect. And, and with Kiltopia, we were lucky that Craig's brother lives in Japan. And he oh, knows well. the he knows the lingo as well, oh, right? right? Okay. The, uh, writing and and speaking. Brilliant. Um So, we being set in Japan and in our in our our, our world, it's basically like the rest of the world's kaput. So yeah. everyone's emigrated to Japan. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's such a vibrant kind of culture that we've created in the book, where there's there's so much representation in it. Yeah. We didn't want to whitewash anything mm-hmm. or get the kanji wrong or yeah do anything that was culturally insensitive. So thankfully we didn't, but that's because Craig's brother, Gary, 
I mean, he really let me have it on a lot of the stuff. Like, <laughs> there was nothing too bad. It was just like, if a Japanese person were to read this, they'd find that really odd or this odd. So a good mm-hmm. example is, um, have you, have you guys ever been to Japan? Let me just ask. No, that. no, so, no, no. Just to preface this. So in Japan, they take the train service really, really seriously. Not like ScotRail. <laughs> if, if a train is late, they take out an apology in the paper because oh, wow. it affects people's livelihoods. Yeah, yeah, Commute, yeah. They're late for work, you know, and it has this knock-on effect. So um, in, there was a scene where the train station was dilapidated and it was all kind of cyberpunky, run down, graffitied. Yeah. And he was like, even even in that future, no chance. Yeah, It's got to be immaculate. <laughs> And it's got to be like this and that. And another example was there was a, a scene uh, in a street where there was a, a... It's not there in the final issue, but there was meant to be a police car at one point. And now it's being replaced with like a tank or something. And I was like, in the panel description, the lights flash blue and red. And went, nope, Japanese police cars only have red lights. Oh, Fix yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. But he's so blunt about it, but that's what I need. You know, I yeah. need, I need, yeah, I need that. Yeah, that. And all the kanji, um, he worked with Craig to make sure that it, all the translation was correct. We weren't yeah. putting in a, in a word that was incorrect or offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's funny though, the, the, the Japanese script on the front cover of Kiltopia doesn't say Kiltopia because it doesn't translate. Okay. Actually says Killer City, which is fair enough. It's, yeah. It's, okay. it's a good close example. Enough, of, yeah. It's close enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, so even down to that level of detail, it's, we've thought of all of it. Because you know what you know what it's like. But like you don't want to accidentally annoy someone. No, no, no exactly. It's, it's not but, but it's brilliant that because it's a lot of that is detail that your average user isn't necessarily going to pick up. Yeah, consciously, but probably all together. Absolutely, that's yeah. why they like it because there is that authenticity yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll know there's something about it that will just feel right or, yeah. or, or unusual enough that it's interesting and. And yeah, I think so. I can totally see that that being quite a good thing. And, and it's funny because we did some. So my friend did show it to someone in Japan, and their feedback was it was it was so funny. It was just like it was something like along the lines of, "Yeah, it's it's not bad for like you know a Westerner. I guess it's kind of <laughs> like what what the West thinks Japan is like. But yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> just being really nice about it. Like yeah, it's cool. Um, but it, I guess it passed the test in that regard. You know. Cool. Well, I suppose one question we always ask as well is. How do you know when mm. something is finished? Because that's something that I know a lot of writers, including myself, can struggle with sometimes. Just keep revisiting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I still do that now. I'm trying to cut myself more slack, mm-hmm. though. I think that's important. You can't... At some point, you do have to let things go. Yeah. And then just see how it performs in the wild. It's, I mean, you guys all know as well. It, it's almost like once you know, once you put something out there, waiting to hear that first feedback is mm-hmm. so nerve-wracking. You're almost like excited but terrified at the same time. Yeah. But it's not to get too hung up on what people think. Again, from my perspective, I'm writing these stories for me. It's an outlet for me. It's something mm-hmm. I would like to read personally so and see it in its final form, you know. But it depends on what it is. If, if it's humour, if I go away and I do this sometimes, I'll just leave a script alone for a while mm-hmm. so I can come back with fresh eyes. If it makes me laugh again or, or just go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I can see people still liking yeah. that, then I know it's fine. I'm yeah. just going to... Um, there are some bits, you know, in there were some bits in Killtopia too that I weren't, sh- I wasn't sure how they would land, but um, just in terms of like things like action scenes, because mm-hmm. obviously being a static uh, yeah. genre, it, it, you often wonder will people understand what's happening yeah. in the quote-unquote motion of and the scene. And you're, it's not, not really up to you, as well. You're putting so much trust in the artist at that point to yeah. to click, and you can't really do anything about it, I suppose. Yeah, it's like it's like will they, as a reader, understand what you saw in your head when you were writing it? Exactly. I think that's yeah. the best way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. But 
at some point you just have to go right i've done the best i can can i, I can with this it's in the fate of the gods now i'm just gonna yeah. get it done uh i think that comes with time though because again like i said with Catopia one that was scrapped so many times mm-hmm. now it's like i i don't care as much i mean mm-hmm. obviously I, I care but yeah. i don't what am i trying to say i don't get so hung up on it yeah. yeah i don't i don't fret too much about what might be if i enjoy it and the people that are peer reviewing it like it if the publisher likes it of mm-hmm. course because they have to edit it and proofread yeah. it that's fine that's, that's good enough for yeah, me yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i i totally empathize and understand anyone though who still gets really hung up on it though it's mm-hmm. i think it's part of just being a writer I think it's, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah i think that's yeah. right you always think that it can be improved in some yeah. way I think. and i suppose like like most stuff you always spend your first book or novel or script or whatever you spend could be years working on mm-hmm. and you'll never get that time normally for, for the next one because you have a deadline and so you'll yeah. have to start start saying yeah. no now it's done I can't spend yeah. it in the, the same time I did last time on it that's it yeah yeah. and I think um, yeah it's it's just having sort of confidence in yourself as well because I, I still get people who are, are quite new at this you know they'll bring out a book that I thought is amazing but they'll, you know they'll come up to me at a comic or I'll buy their book mm. at a comic con and read it at my table when I've got some downtime how is it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually, genuinely, like, I'll be like, yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. Actually, to yeah. be honest, I'm like, really? There wasn't anything you didn't like? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, 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 honestly, I mean, I'm being square with you. Like, it's fine. I, honestly, I, I don't, there's no major issues. And they're like, almost like, nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's because, I mean, I I still do it now. I, I think, I think in terms of the script, I am better at saying it's done. When you get the book, you get that amazing feeling, you know, once it's printed, the amazing feeling of unboxing it, getting it in your hands and mm-hmm. thinking, Yes, it's a real thing now. It's tangible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you flick through it and see something that, as a complete whole, you'd be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, or, oh, I wish I did that yeah. differently. It's now always it's it. too late to make any changes. Yeah, but then the classic thing, no one else will notice because yeah. no one knows what's going through your head right now. Like they'll, they'll find their own meaning in it and they'll read it their own way and just let it go. Honestly, yeah. it's, it's hard, easier <laughs> said than done, but you know. Um, and... What's next? We've got Kiltopia three coming out. What, what? And you said you were thinking of other things in the future. Yeah, it's this will be a big busiest year actually. But thank, I say, I, everything's written now. It's just uh, for the the fact of crowdfunding it, getting it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my new book has come. It's actually went to print tonight, or oh, wow. as as the, at the time of recording. Wow. Um, uh, Vessels three. So that's uh, cool. that took a while actually because it was a new um, artist. So my previous artist just quit illustration altogether because oh, right, okay. he got a job as an illustrator so coming home after working <laughs> and doing my stuff he was yeah, like yeah. nah I can't <laughs> be bothered I, need a break, um, yeah. I get it you know uh, so Vessels 3 um, we are currently pitching around uh, my first graphic novel um, so we're pitching that to publishers just now cool. called uh, BPM Beatdowns Per Minute which is uh, it's a love letter to uh, scrolling beat em up games like Streets of Rage Final Fight Golden Axe but also factored in with 90s action movies cool and sort of modern ones like the raid john wick you know these like yeah, practical yeah. effects like really cool fight scenes uh so that that's going to launch at some point this year we may do it as a web comic if we don't hear back from publishers but or as a complete thing watch this space cool kiltopia 3 of course that'll hit crowdfunding at some point um we've got some big uh huge variant cover artist uh who's sh- should be finished any, any day now nice um everyone will know them they're huge oh, that's great. awesome uh, but that'll be on crowdfunding. Uh, Bust 4, um, the penultimate issue, will hit crowdfunding probably later this year. And yeah, I've just I've just got a publisher advance for my first non-comic book. 
which nice. is a it's a coffee table book of the history of side scrolling beat em up. So games I've, like Streets of Rage. I've seen on Twitter, that's... you've been working on that. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge. I've been sitting on it for a while, so I'm halfway done with it now. The writing side of it. So it's a 400 page. Um, it's kind of a half an art book, half a history book about. Mm. Uh, it's chronological, so it's all the way from Kung Fu Master in 1984, which is a great game. All the way through, every, you know, year by year, chapter by chapter, all the way through to Streets of Rage Four, which comes out this year. Wow! So it's a complete every game in that genre that's ever come out. That sounds awesome. The perfect thing to flick through the, on the sofa. And look yeah, through. yeah, totally. And that for me, it's my favorite genre. It taps into my past as a games journalist. Mm-hmm. It's like such a dream project. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're a fan of fighting games, that's that's a big one. And one or two other things that we're speaking with, uh, people have approached us to do licensed comics. Cool. That's all, right, all I can cool. say because it might not come off. Mm-hmm. Quite often these projects don't happen, mm-hmm. but we might be able to announce some stuff in the first half of the year if it comes off. So nice. that's brilliant. Could be a nice. Is that, is that you, you and Craig as a team? Uh, me and another artist. I can't say who just now, but um, yeah. uh, potentially doing our first licensed comic for an adaptation of something. So nice. yeah, that's we'll awesome. see. Very exciting. Very There's exciting. a lot of stuff happening. There. Yeah, my, my wife. My wife is very patient. <laughs> <laughs> What was the last, in your case, last comic you read? So I read, uh, actually from start to finish, I I basically bought a a collected volume and then bought the next one. There were six in total of The Boys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, on Amazon. I I watched the first season, finished it, and I was like, right, I'm buying all of this. So I just, I did. So good. Um, So it's actually really relevant now. There's a lot of political stuff in it that echoes kind of what's happening in the States, the political stuff. and corporate greed and all that kind of stuff and um the series has ad- adapted the books quite interestingly but it, they're, they're both great mm-hmm. i think i would highly recommend the book even if you like the tv show yeah, yeah i love the show i've not read the book i've read the first one uh, but yeah i haven't yeah. read the whole series yet but one as, as like a, as like a warning to anyone who wants to buy the boys try not to read it in a public space yes <laughs> i used to i read i read on my commute on the train and um some of those pages in that book are so graphic <laughs> where i'd literally be turning the page and then there's a big like hardcore nudity scene and i'm just like the person someone's sitting next to me in the train i'm like no i'll i'll read that later I'll put it back in my bag um so yeah well actually before we move on there was one more question i wanted to ask you about um the digital side of comics mm. obviously has become a bigger thing now um, and comicsology and things like that. What's your view of that? Because I noticed Kiltopia is not on that and things like that. So, Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Do you know what? Um, some people find success with it. Uh, I would say, when I say, well, I'll, I'll back up actually. So people find success on platforms like Patreon. Mm-hmm. That's really big for like web comics, things yeah. like that. So as a digital platform, as a digital format, yeah. that's good. I'm really not a fan of Comixology. I think the app is great. The mm-hmm. sign-up process is actually, the submission process, I think is archaic. I right, don't, really right. don't like it. It reminds me of the Apple App Store. Mm-hmm. If you're an indie game developer, you maybe appear at the top of the yeah. indie section for a day, then you're gone. And I know from experience from interviewing game developers mm-hmm. as a games journalist, how hard it is to get sales on that platform because all these bigger games and all these bigger publishers that have budget to spend on placement, you know, yeah. ads, that kind of thing just suppress everything else that can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen graphs, you know, from in the indie game developers on the app store. First week of sales, you know, quite high, then yeah. forever created, yeah. done. Yeah. The same thing is true of Comixology. Every week there's hundreds and hundreds of comics that go on there. But it's everything. It's Marvel, DC, yeah, Image. Yeah. 
you how how are you supposed you, to stand out yeah. on that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do your own marketing, of course. I mean, like I do with everything else. But again, like the Spotify example I used earlier, it's pennies on the pound. Yeah. Every quarter, I get my statement from Comixology. Here it is, you know, your your statement for the the month. Because I don't push it, it's not going to be a lot, right? But it's like, oh, you sold fifty copies of Vessels One and Two on Comixology this quarter. Here's your six dollars twenty five, and I'm yeah. like, this is pointless. Yeah. That's why Kiltopia is not on there because it's mm-hmm. like again, it's not just about the money, but I don't want to make myself skint doing this. Yeah. So I, yeah. If I had to put it somewhere, it's going to be like on Amazon or the Waterstones website yeah, yeah. or for, for mm-hmm. the Planet yeah. as as a physical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a numbers game, really. But um, I think if you're really good at the marketing side and you just want to say because it's good marketing to say, hey, I'm on Comicsology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a nice thing to say and to say you've done. So I, I wouldn't say don't do it. Just don't expect crazy no, money from yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, you uh, to... really, uh, what was the last film you saw? It was Jojo Rabbit. Actually, oh, is it, yeah, is it, is it good? It's really good. I, it's funny because um, the trailers is clearly a comedy, like yeah. first and foremost. Oh, it gets heavy. Someone at saw it and said the same thing. It was a lot more than they were expecting. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a few a few things that could spoil it, but I'll, I'll just talk genuinely. But it's about like. Um, how easily indoctrinated people can be. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously about this little boy who wants to be the best Nazi he can be, which is obviously quite relevant in today's political climate. <laughs> um, but his imaginary friend is Hitler, but that's the like indoctrination, indoctrinated yeah. side of him talking to him, telling him to be a certain way when he starts to think, oh, maybe there's a better way. Maybe I don't need to be mm-hmm. hating Jewish people and yeah. stuff. And it, it's a really... I, hope, I still hope it wins the Oscars because it's a really relevant message to just some of the crazy stuff that's going on in the yeah. world right yeah. now. Just to show, don't be that way. Be tolerant of people, and it's got a really sweet message at its core. But um, some bits are really, really sad okay. and shocking. You're like, oh, okay. You're, you're <laughs> laughing one minute, and the next minute you're like almost crying. You're like, oh god. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, cool. definitely check it out. Oh, okay, will do. Um, and last TV show you watched or are watching? Uh, I just finished the. I've watched a lot. Actually, the Christmas break was great for yeah. catching up and stuff. <laughs> I finished uh, Watchmen. That wasn't the last one I watched, but I definitely would recommend yeah. that. Uh, Legion was the last one, oh, I watched, right, okay. uh, which I put off the last season for a while. But that's um, it's uh, based on it's an X Men TV show, yeah. but it's not linked to the MCU or like um, the Netflix series. It's a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same guys that did the Fargo TV show. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically about a guy who is in, is in a mental institution. He's um, like an asylum, and he because he's hearing voices. But and it's not a spoiler because it's the whole point of the show. He's a he doesn't realize he's a telepath. Mm-hmm. He is actually hearing other mm-hmm. people's voices because he can read minds, and it just comes from there. It gets very like Inception. Yeah, very I, trippy, I saw the very first weird. season. I thought it was fantastic. I did, I'd not watched two or three, but it was yeah. As you say, it's really yeah, yeah. really really trippy and yeah. It's a nice take on the X Men stuff. It's not your typical superhero. Stuff. No, oh, definitely not. Yeah, it's it's really psychedelic and strange. And the third season is all about time travel, so it's got this oh, extra right, okay. layer of just what is going on. <laughs> but um. It comes good in the end, like the final season just ends just perfectly. So oh, okay. I, I, worth watching. But the third season def- is the last one by design. Yeah, it was yeah. only, always a three parter, but uh, definitely really good, really good. Cool. Yeah. Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to get crucified for this. Having, having written, Comments on this one are going to be... Uh, having <laughs> yeah, written a cyberpunk comic book. Um, Blade Runner, the original, has such a good sense of place. Like It just it just defined 
a style that everyone else followed mm-hmm. and yeah, ripped it off did. and yeah, yeah. Paid, paid homage to. Um, not a lot actually happens in the film. If you actually break down the plot of it, you know, um, Harrison Ford, like his character doesn't do much detective no. work. No. He just kind yeah, of, yeah. a lot of it, he just like accidentally yeah. comes across mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I, I love the film though. Don't get me wrong. If I had to choose, that would definitely be the sequel, but it just, yeah, it's I, I, it's one of these things. The more I watch it, I loved it like just slavishly when it first came out. Now I'm like, it's style over substance now. Like apart from the final sequence, obviously, Rook mm. Hour and yeah, phenomenal. But yeah, I, this is the world that's the best part of it. It just it's so iconic from that take. The second one, love the mystery of it. Mm-hmm. Is Ryan Gosling's character a replicant mm-hmm. or not? Like who you know? What's his backstory? There was. And I love the visual style of it. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you go to Vegas, that whole yeah, bit is yeah. just like it's stunning. Yeah. The soundtrack and it's a long film, but I tell you that's that was the fastest like three and a bit hours I had in the summer ever. I absolutely loved yeah. it, I have yeah. to say. I, like, it got a bit of um you know, bad bad press for the length of it, but as you say, I thought it flew by. Yeah. yeah. It had a lot of ideas. Like I thought I thought in terms of expanding that world in ways that I mean didn't have to be expanded. I mean, there never didn't need to be a sequel. I thought they just expanded the world just yeah. enough where yeah, actually absolutely. it was compelling. It didn't feel like a like a cash grab. It felt like a like a really smart way to carry on mm-hmm. some of the story from the first one. Yeah, and the th- the thing that stuck out for me that made it feel smart was that it wasn't there wasn't rank like exposition. No, like there's a bit when they go off to some big junkyard region. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's never explained why that exists. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just there. I sort of put it up there with Mad Max Fury, Fury Road. Things happen in that film. Yeah. You see things that are never explained. They don't have to be. They yeah. just exist. In it, this it, world. Just, it just works. It's, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's that's. I mean, to go back to comics, that's kind of what we do with Killtopia. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. try not to. It just is. Yeah. yeah. That, this is the world that I've. I think that's done the best and, way, know. especially with sci-fi. Actually, there is a danger that as a as a writer or creator, you're you want to explain yeah. to people you, why you, it's you like this. So long in your own yeah. head. But, make it up you want but to tell definitely you. the best the best sci-fi novels and comics and films are the ones that just drop you in there yeah. and say right you Absolutely. get up to speed understand what's going on alter carbon and stuff like that yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just go with it and you pick up the tech by how yeah. it's used etc and you don't worry about it's, it's slang as well it is yeah, yeah absolutely it's slang yeah. I love it yeah. when when it happens it mostly happens in cyberpunk actually in sci-fi there's just all these like terms yeah and they might be odd at first but the more they're used you actually think okay they've got their own little language yeah, and this word manner- means this word and, yeah. yeah mannerisms yeah. and little things you know I love that kind of stuff yeah um, Hunger Games are the Battle Royale. Oh, Battle Royale! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. That was this was back when um, I saw it. I heard about it actually. I'm trying to remember now. I heard about it just in passing as this like super oh, the most violent film ever made, the most shocking. You know, it's a shocking premise, but it probably looks quite tame by today's standards. Yeah. But, um It was almost like this like cult, like forbidden mm. film. And this was about the time where H- HMV started stalking the Tartan Extreme Asia Extreme oh, yeah, label, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they brought it over from um, Japan. And I bought it, and I was just like, "This is great." <laughs> um, again, it just speaks to my love of like, you know, Killtopia is a blood sport, and uh, it's the name of the blood sport in the comic. But yeah, I love the Running Man, all that the kind of gladiator yeah. kind of stuff, like uh, blood sport kind of vibe. Yeah. So I, that was perfect for me. I've since read the manga as well. Actually, my wife got it and read it, and it's quite cool. The Battle Royale manga, yeah. it's, it's, nice. it's quite okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, it elaborates a bit more on what's going on. Like the characters have more backstory and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, Battle Royale definitely. Nice. Cool. Uh, TV or cinema? 
Oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I have to choose those, don't I? Um, I love going to the cinema, actually. Do you know, I, I love TV as well, but actually I still, because I'm a big fan of physical formats and stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I buy vinyl, I buy retro games all the yeah. time, too much. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just quite like going to the cinema. I mean, my threshold and tolerance of people talking in the cinema and getting phones <laughs> out is going down by the year. Yeah. But, um, do you know, I, I, I like seeing a film quite early on in release and catching the buzz and checking it out and yeah it's an experience I like it yeah. I, I used to like that before I had kids <laughs> <laughs> I remember what the cinema Mark was Mark loved a straight to Netflix movie <laughs> yeah <days>. exactly <laughs> um, fancy restaurant or a takeaway <laughs> oh god <laughs> um, I probably probably takeaway yeah takeaway just chilling out heating on sitting on my wife sitting with the cat play some video games yeah nice. can't, can't beat that nice yeah. one nice. and last one Star Wars or Star Trek Oh, I don't really like either. I, I'll That's caveat that though. I enjoy like Star Trek movies, but not really the show. I just just because mm. I came late to it. Yeah, I know there's so many seasons and stuff. It's like I, I know it's almost it's almost too much when you just start. Yeah, it sometimes yeah. And Star Wars, like the, I kind of just grown out of the fandom of it. Like I know the new film came out and everyone yeah. was like hyped and stuff. I was a bit like I, I was obligated. I was obligated to see. It. I'll see it to the end. Fine, you know, cool. Um. Love the Mandalorian though, so I'm going to pick Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I've That's heard that it's been brilliant. I've not watched yeah. it yet. But I should yeah. admit I've seen it because <laughs> you can't legally see it in this country. We'll but put yeah. it after March. So don't worry, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great though. It's it's like practical sets, like that sense of adventure you got from the very first movie. And yeah. you hope you know it's it's great. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I think I think that's right with Star Wars as well. Is that I've kind of I've not seen the new the last film. Yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Last Jedi, um, and. You're kind of tired of that story, know, but the yeah. universe they created yeah. there is. Like, I, I, when I was much younger, I read the the first novelizations or the novels with Thrawn and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I really like that. You know, set in that universe, there's a lot of things. I that think they that's can tell. actually that's it exactly. Like the 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 world is amazing, yeah. but the films are very similar. This is like yeah. very similar, and another dude, you know, it's it's an intentional choice to tell this kind of recycled story each time with. But mm-hmm. there comes a point when you think, I don't exactly where it's going. There's no yeah. surprises, really. It's well, it, it's it sounds controversial, right? But I, I sort of, I'd say it's enjoyed. Maybe is too strong a word, but I, I liked that solo film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was a side. It wasn't Jedi versus Dark Side versus Rebels. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. so like you. I, I, we've seen it. Yeah. Where Solo was kind of like rogue, roguish yeah, about yeah, the yeah. and I thought, yeah, yeah that's kind of cool. Rogue One, I loved Rogue One. Yeah. For that reason, it was it was a different look. It was more of a kind of war film. It wasn't quite the classic Star Wars. Yeah, because th- it's always like, uh, it's about destiny and good versus bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. but it's Solo, and that's why The Mandalorian is good, because it's ethically, it gets kind of grey in parts, and it's kind mm-hmm. of... That's cool, yeah. yeah. Again, it's not like, hey, when when there's a reference to something in, in The Mandalorian to like calls back... Mm-hmm broader parts of the movie a universe there's not a sort of hey remember this thing yeah yeah remember this thing they don't do that it just again it just exists it's like oh there's that thing I I recognise it's cool you know I suppose it's because like Star Wars was a kids film originally Yeah, yeah and as the people that watched it have grown up they're more obviously they want more complicated stories they want that sort of greenness yeah to their stories not good guys bad guys kind of thing and yeah, I think that's why. Yeah, I'm excited to see the Mandalorian. Yeah, totally. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much, Dave. That was a really nice chat with you. 
Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that chat with Dave. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of it, even if you weren't into comics. But I think he had a lot of yeah, a lot of really good advice tips and there. tips. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of which I will be stealing. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this space. I'm also really excited for the Mandalorian. Now I have to say, which, yeah. Um I believe is out next month. I think yes. I'm not sure how Dave managed to watch it. He must be in America. <laughs> he must have been. He must have been in America. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, we have a great prize to give away, which is um, a signed copy of Volume One of Kiltopia, which is Dave's uh, cyberpunk comic that we were talking about yep. there, uh, and also a Page One notebook, which is the notebook we've created for writers to help you plan your story with different sections for characters, plot, etc. But Marco, how would I enter the competition? Funny you should ask, Derek. Let me <laughs> Very <take>. funny. <laughs> Fancy that. Um, I'm going to try and summarise this because previously I've taken if, about if five minutes to explain this. If listeners could, collect, could pause, collect a pen <laughs> yeah. and a thick pad of paper when they're following instructions. I'm going to make it easy. You can, we'll tweet about the competition yep. and we'll post it on Facebook. And if you retweet or share those on Facebook, then you're entered into the competition. Yep. You can also email us at podcast at rightgear.co.uk um, just saying you want to enter the competition, but also ask us a question. Yeah, why We'd not? love to hear from you. Tell us what you thought Every about day the episode. Checking the inbox. <laughs> no, nothing yet. <laughs> um, those are the three ways you can enter. Yep. And it's a very short competition. We'll run it for, so not next episode, but the episode after we'll announce the winner. Yes, okay. so an episode four. Uh, of this season, yes. Yeah. Well, assuming I'm around. <laughs> yes. Marco's episode four. <laughs> Hi, it's Marco from the future here. Guess what? I managed to mess up the instructions for the competition. What a surprise. Um, as well as uh, retweeting or sharing the post on Facebook and Twitter... Uh, you also have to uh, like the individual post and follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook as well to be counted as an entry. Just thought I'd clarify that. Back to the podcast. And speaking of next episode, who's our guest next week, Tarek? Next week we have a sci-fi author, Mr. Gareth L. Powell. Yes, author of uh, most recently the Embers of War trilogy. Yeah. And the the final book in that trilogy has actually just been released uh, this as week. of yesterday at the time of recording, I think. Yeah, that's right. So um, it's a great if you're into your sort of big space ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a great series of books. We chat to Gareth all about that, about how he became a writer, yeah. uh, and get a lot of tips from him. Yeah, he's he's, he's quite big on on the Twitter sphere. Uh, he's known for giving out it's a lot of helpful tips and advice to aspiring authors. So, he but does fortunately, much the same. he saved some. To, he did say he saved his well. best, I think, actually, for the <laughs> yeah. podcast. So, uh, yeah, tune in next week to, to hear uh, us speak to Gareth and enter the competition. And as always, I'm going to do a quick beg for ratings and reviews in yes. Apple Podcasts because it really helps our discoverability. I managed to say that right. <laughs> um, on uh, all, of, all of the apps, um, if we can get uh, rated and reviewed. So if you have a spare minute, if you've enjoyed the podcast, yeah. just... Uh, if you could do that, that would if your be parents greatly have got an appreciated. IPhone, just pick it up and just <laughs> yeah, do exactly, that for them. I'm exactly. sure they won't mind. Uh, and uh, otherwise, uh, we'll just leave you with a few more words about page one, the writer's notebook that I mentioned before. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity. 
a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.